Section 5 of The Philosophy of the Plan of Salvation by James Barr Walker. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 6 Concerning the Design and Necessity of the Moral Law. At this stage of our progress, it will be useful to recapitulate the conclusions at which we have arrived, and thus make a point of rest from which to extend our observation further into the plan of God for redeeming the world. This review is the more appropriate, as we have arrived at a period in the history of God's providence with Israel, which presents them as a people prepared, so far as imperfect material could be prepared, to receive that model which God might desire to impress upon the nation. 1. They were bound to each other by all the ties of which human nature is susceptible, and thus rendered compact and united, so that everything national, whether in sentiment or practice, would be received and cherished with unanimous and fervent and lasting attachment. And furthermore, by a long and rigorous bondage, they had been rendered, for the time being at least, humble and dependent. Thus they were disciplined by a course of providences adapted to fit them to receive instruction from their benefactor with a teachable and grateful spirit. 2. Their minds were shaken off from idols, and Jehovah, by a revelation made to them, setting forth his name and nature, had revealed himself as a divine being, and by his works had manifested his almighty power, so that when their minds were disabused of wrong views of the Godhead, an idea of the first, true, and essential nature of God was revealed to them, and they were thus prepared to receive a knowledge of the attributes of that divine essence. 3. They had been brought to contemplate God as their protector and saviour. Appeals the most affecting and thrilling had been addressed to their affections, and they were thus attached to God as their almighty temporal saviour by the ties of gratitude and love for the favour which he had manifested to them. 4. When they had arrived on the farther shore of the Red Sea, thus prepared to obey God and worship him from the heart, they were without laws either civil or moral. As yet, they had never possessed any national or social organization. They were therefore prepared to receive, without predilection or prejudice, that system of moral instruction and civil polity which God might reveal as best adapted to promote the moral interests of the nation. From these conclusions, we may extend our vision forward into the system of revelation. This series of preparations would certainly lead the mind to the expectation that what was still wanting, and what they had been thus miraculously prepared to receive, would be granted, which was a knowledge of the moral character of God, and a moral law prescribing their duty to God and to men. Without this, the plan that had been maturing for generations, and had been carried forward thus far by wonderful exhibitions of divine wisdom and power, would be left unfinished, just at the point where the finishing process was necessary. But, besides the strong probability which the previous preparation would produce, that there would be a revelation of moral law, there are distinct and conclusive reasons evincing its necessity. The whole experience of the world has confirmed the fact, beyond the possibility of skepticism, that man cannot discover and establish a perfect rule of human duty. 
whatever may be said of the many excellent maxims expressed by different individuals in different ages and nations yet it is true that no system of duty to god and man in any wise consistent with enlightened reason has ever been established by human wisdom and sustained by human sanctions and for reasons already stated such a fact never can occur but it may be supposed that each man has within himself sufficient light from reason and sufficient admonition from conscience to guide himself as an individual in the path of truth and happiness a single fact will correct such a supposition conscience the great arbiter of the merit and demerit of human conduct has little intuitive sense of right and is not guided entirely by reason but is governed in a great measure by what men believe indeed faith is the legitimate regulator of the conscience if a man has correct views of duty to god and men he will have a correct conscience but if he can by a wrong view of morals and of the character of god be induced to believe that theft or murder or any vice is right his conscience will be corrupted by his faith when men are brought to believe as they frequently do believe in heathen countries that it is right to commit suicide or infanticide as a religious duty their conscience condemns them if they do not perform the act thus that power in the soul which pronounces upon the moral character of human conduct is itself dependent upon and regulated by the faith of the individual it is apparent therefore that the reception and belief of a true rule of duty accompanied with proper sanctions will alone form in man a proper conscience god has so constituted the soul that it is necessary in order to the regulation of its moral powers that it should have a rule of duty revealed under the sanction of its maker's authority otherwise its high moral powers would lie in dark and perpetual disorder further unless the human soul be an exception god governs all things by laws adapted to their proper nature the laws which govern the material world are sketched in the books on natural science such are gravitation affinity mathematical motion those laws by which the irrational animal creation is controlled are usually called instincts their operation and design are sketched to some extent in treatises upon the instincts of animals such is the law which leads the beaver to build his dam and all other animals to pursue some particular habits instead of others all beavers from the first one created to the present time have been instinctively led to build a dam in the same manner and so their instinct will lead them to build till the end of time the law which drives them to do the act is as necessitating as the law which causes the smoke to rise upwards nothing in the universe of god animate or inanimate is left without the government of appropriate law unless that thing be the noblest creature of god the human spirit to suppose therefore that the human soul is thus left unguided by a revealed rule of conduct is to suppose that god cares for the less and not the greater to suppose that he would constitute the moral powers of the soul so that a law was necessary for their guidance and then reveal none to suppose especially in the case of the israelites that he would prepare a people to receive and obey with a proper spirit this necessary rule of duty and yet give no rule 
but to suppose these things would be absurd it follows therefore that god would reveal to the israelites a law for the regulation of their conduct in morals and religion but physical law or necessitating instinct would not be adapted in its nature to the government of a rational and moral being the application of either to the soul would destroy its free agency god has made man intelligent and thereby adapted his nature to a rule which he understands man has a will and a conscience but he must understand the rule in order to will obedience and he must believe the sanction by which the law is maintained before he can feel the obligation upon his conscience a law therefore adapted to man's nature must be addressed to the understanding sanctioned by suitable authority and enforced by adequate penalties in accordance with these legitimate deductions god gave the israelites a rule of life the moral law succinctly comprehended in the ten commandments and as affectionate obedience is the only proper obedience he coupled the facts which were fitted to produce affection with the command to obey saying i am jehovah thy god which brought thee up out of the land of egypt and out of the house bondage therefore love me and keep my commandments End of section 5